Welcome to the shortest episode of this podcast. You think so? Yeah. We watched The Maltese Falcon from 1941, and it sucked. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, I think we would be remiss if we just completely wrote it off. <gasps> oh, crap. I just, I'm looking it up right now, and Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which is another film that's coming up, is directed by the same guy. Okay, well... Here's one thing that I read. Oh, it was his first it was his first movie. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I guess I was reading your mind there. Or reading your phone. Uh, well, maybe I was reading my phone, but okay. Right. So before we dive in, here's the log line. <clears throat> San Francisco private detective Sam Spade takes on a case that involves him with three eccentric criminals, a gorgeous liar, and their quest for a priceless statuette, with the stakes rising after his partner is murdered. That's a way to make it sound exciting. Yes. More exciting than it was. This is the problem with Gone with the Wind. How we talked about how I can't remember what that lady's name was, the maid. The maid? She, in Gone with like the Patty Wind. Like Patty McDaniel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she was describing this like interesting scene right. where they're like, oh, and then we're fighting and they were doing this. And it's like, why don't you just show us that? Hmm. That's what this movie is. Yep. <laughs> it was tell, not show. So and, much tell, not and show. I only think that's effective if like it's in a situation where it makes sense not to see it. But so much of this movie is just, let me tell you about this thing and let me describe to you what this interesting scene would have been where... <laughs> would have been. Yeah, yeah. Where the femme fatale, you know, caught this person and there there was a chase and then they shot at them and there's like... <sighs> it was so much just like, like talk, people, talk, 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 yeah. talk, talk. And so much of it was just like... You know, they would go on for like minutes and then Humphrey Bogart would be like, ah, that's all lies. And she's like, oh, yeah, maybe whatever. It's like, why are we dedicating screen time to this? It's so hard to follow when I mean, I understand it was hard to follow. It was boring. She's unreliable narrator. But I feel like there's a more interesting way to betray that than wasting our time with all this exposition dumping. Like so much exposition. I dumping. love dialogue heavy films, but I love it when you feel like you're learning something about the character or like there's some kind of intimacy between the characters, like shared friendship, you know, or just like the, the dialogue being interesting, talking about like anything, you know, in mumblecore movies, that kind of style. It's often that. With this, it was more like, let me tell you the history of this bird. And it's like, I don't care. That's not relevant to now. Right. All I could think about was, to paraphrase Will Ferrell, was this bird could star in a TV show called Birds I Don't Care About. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie made me realize something. And speaking of birds, the uh, audio listeners won't be able to hear this, but the video, the YouTube viewers, here's a little... Uh, Maltese Falcon stand in. It's my Blathers amiibo from uh, Ooh. Animal Crossing. Ooh. Shh, we're trying to do a podcast. <laughs> so this movie made me realize something that I did not. It did not occur to me before watching it, but it probably should have. Which is okay. that I don't like hard boiled detective movies. Uh, they're not my fave. 
which you would think I would love it because I love detectives and I love murder mysteries. Yeah, me too. Like I like Sherlock. Yeah. But like the the film noir and I let me be clear. I like film noir, yeah. but the film noir style like hard-boiled detective in the trench coat and the fedora is just like I didn't like this. I barely liked Chinatown. I didn't like Blade Runner. Dry Town was something that we all had to <laughs> kind of grit our teeth to get through, but it a had short, a certain short film. We it did. had a certain yeah. charm. Sure. I, I would say the closest thing to a hard-boiled detective story that I enjoyed was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. If you can call it yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, but it's more of like a play <sighs> on it. Like Chinatown, I was able to respect. I yeah, was like, for objectively, sure. this is good. But subjectively, I don't care. There was problems I had with it, but I found it more interesting than this movie. This there, movie was boring. Yeah, it was boring. There Couldn't was wait for it to be over. There was some things I liked about it. I found the shots to be framed really well. And I liked the mise-en-scene, the way that they would stack characters and scenes. There would be three people and like the way they positioned them. I, I felt like that was good. There was a lot of good camera movements where they did like dollies in, dollies out. There's a scene where Wilmer is like coming out of a daze and he like looks and sees like shots of each of the characters. I thought that was pretty good. That was nice. But story wise, this script, man, like it was based on a book and it got, you know, heavily rewritten to fit the Hayes Code. Okay. Because it was a lot more like sexual drinking, that kind of stuff. Yeah, get that. That they get that crap out of there. That they wouldn't allow, which is probably part of the reason why you don't see the interesting action scenes. Great. Well, why bother making a movie about it then? Why even bother? You would think it would be based on a stage play for all the amount that they just sit around and talk, but it was based on a novel of like. The author, I believe, was a detective, and it was like kind of based on his life, from my understanding cool. of, of the quick <laughs> research I did on it. Again, you know, like yeah. I like film noir. Like I feel like Sunset Boulevard is a good sort of like film noir mystery story, but it's not like a hard-boiled yeah. detective thing. Like this hard-boiled detective – like I was excited to watch this because yes. I was like – I feel like this is the definitive hard-boiled detective it, film noir movie. It is because like, if you think of any other film noir movies or any parodies of it or like if you stir any feelings about film noir, it's like this kind of thing. Yeah. Black and white, low-key lighting – fedoras people with guns dry town yeah (laughs) let me give dry town a bit of a pass here because i feel like you know as much as we rag on dry town which is just again like a silly little short film that we did in first year of college i think objectively dry town is more interesting than the maltese falcon because it's at least like comedic it's fun it's funny yeah my problem with this is i think it could have been good right Except the script was bad. And by, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but previous episode, we were struggling to remember the name of uh, the character in Dry Town. Right. It yeah. was Rex Thompson. I remembered it after. That's pretty funny, honestly. Right. Okay. Go ahead with what you're going to say. Right. Um, so from a directorial standpoint, I think the director did the best he could with not that great of a script. Disagree. <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. So it was his first movie. And... 
in the Wikipedia page, it talks about how he wrote down like every shot he wanted and even included sketches with it, which is basically like a storyboard. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to stick to being on time and on budget and like not have to cut any scenes out because, you know, he wasn't maintaining his schedule. And I'm like, that's like, how was that not the norm before (laughs) 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 to do like a storyboard and like keep it all tight and like. Yeah. You know, really know what you're going for ahead of time in pre-production. Well, good on him for that, but I just yeah. found it I found it so wordy and just like yeah, it didn't not his fault, It though. didn't grip me at all. I I wasn't yeah. given a reason to care. I was just confused, especially yeah, when they confused. started giving reasoning for why the characters were doing certain things and then immediately after being like, Act- well, that was all lies. So just like, whatever. And what Maybe you'll find out later. Like, I was like, I don't want to find out later. I- you haven't given me a reason to care. There's no stakes, yeah. really. I just couldn't couldn't wait to be done watching it. Because we know nothing about detective, the detective prior to meeting the femme fatale. Mm. I wonder if Detective Pikachu is any better. I never ended up watching. I don't that. know. I mean, I would watch it just for like the vibe, uh-huh. like just for fun. It feels like it could be one of those movies where it's like you just throw it on, have a good time, not really like doing film critique of it. Like Dry Town. Yeah, exactly. I'll throw it in Dry Town right now. Absolutely. Welcome to you're, Dry Town. You're in the it. The ugliest little place on the Lower East Side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was in it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you did like for a like brief a little for like a second. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like you, you know nothing about the characters before you meet them, like in the office, and uh, you know there's murder. People are after a valuable item that they're all trying to get, and like all those elements should create an interesting story. But it's more like people talking about wanting to get the item instead of like actually seeing it. Mm. And I feel like a better scenario of this is the Indiana Jones movies. Like they're after the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Or, you know. But it's, what, yeah. But instead else. of just talking about wanting to find it, yeah. they actually go out and try and find it. Like yeah. the, he's like, so it makes it interesting. You know, I've been after this thing for 17 years. It's like, oh, great. I'm sure you had some interesting adventures along the way. Could we not see those? Or are we just going to see people talking about those adventures in. It's ostensibly a regular like hotel room or just living room. Yeah, that was pretty bland, honestly. Like there's so many things that they could have done with it to, you know, to show that, you know, her character is untrustworthy instead of just like she's saying like she's lying, you know, and the detective like knowing that he's smart and he knows what he's doing and, you know, that he's able to investigate. Like, we didn't actually see him really investigate. Like, no, not at all. Things just kind of happened to him. Yeah, and that the Maltese make Falcon landed in his lap. Well, Literally. I mean, it ended up not being the Maltese Falcon, yeah, I but guess. it was but... some fake thing. And I thought in the end, like, you know, when he was on the phone being like, hey, guys, why don't you go and find the people that are leaving the hotel that I got? And then he, like, shakes miss o'shaughnessy the the femme fatale being like tell me that you did it tell me that you killed him and then she's like finally confesses and then like the detectives just like show up at his house and he's like yeah she she did it it was a very boring ending especially because yeah. i thought they were going to reveal that the that the fake maltese falcon was actually yes, the maltese falcon exactly nope 
that like he like switched it out to fake them out or you know that it was like re-enameled or something he's like it's the stuff that dreams are made of yeah he's like all right everybody listen i'm about to drop an iconic line on you guys i'm gonna get real close to the microphone that's the stuff dreams are made of it's like wow great great well i guess it's the idea of you're chasing more like an idea than a thing but like that's boring indiana jones did that (laughs) like i don't know there's just better ways to do it it does make me want to watch indiana jones absolutely much better films I mean, so, like, some of the shots were cool. Like, the shot of her in the elevator with the shadow on her face. Like, the cinematography is pretty good. If you say but so. But, like, <laughs> like, I feel like Veronica Mars, like, they legitimately show her actively investigating and doing things to find out things about characters to figure things out. Whereas this guy just kind of walks around, smokes, drinks, and then people just kind of like show up and they're like, yeah, do you have this thing? I'll give you like a thousand dollars. He's like, no, well, right, I'll man. figure it out. <laughs> like, who cares? It's hard watching this coming right off of watching Citizen Kane because Citizen Kane had so much going for it. And I think the stark difference yeah. between the two is that the Maltese Falcon had some good style, decent style. Yeah. Citizen Kane also had some good style. We called the plot in Citizen Kane serviceable. Not amazing, but serviceable. I think the plot of Maltese Falcon didn't even make it to serviceable. I was like, checked out. No. it's I file it in under potential for a remake. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like American Werewolf in London. That's another movie that I think could be like super, super awesome if they just did some tweaks. And I feel the same way about this is like, all the ideas they have going for it could be interesting. You know, kind of like an Indiana Jones style movie, but it's, you know, black and white. And, you know, it's about a detective, you know, figuring out this bird thing. Like, I, it could be good, but it's Maybe. just, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I was reading in the Wikipedia page that there was a seven minute long take that they didn't cut. I'm like, didn't, didn't even notice. notice. And you know when they utilized it? Can you guess? In a dialogue scene? Yeah, not a pivotable, like, pivotal. It wasn't pivotal at all. A pivotal moment, like, you know, in Rope, they effectively use long takes to show that everything's going quick and to show, like, the height end of time and, like, you know, the intensity of things. Mm -hmm. For this, they use a seven-minute long take when fat man is doing his exposition dump about the bird and like how it's changed hands over the years and it's like you did a seven minute long take of a guy just like talking to a camera and like it wasn't even like anything like that important to know you know it it wasn't like a pivotal oh my gosh (laughs) it it wasn't like an important and emotional staked scene no, well, it's funny, too, because, like, I feel like some people might consider that pivotal because it's like, oh, it shows why everybody's after the bird. But it's like, don't you don't care. even really need to know that. You just need to know that they're after it. It doesn't matter why they're after it. It's it's a MacGuffin. Yeah, they, they told us in the beginning that it was super valuable. Yeah. That's all you need to know. You did, don't even need to know that. It's just like, people are after this thing. Okay, got it. 
Yeah. That's it. You could maybe throw in like, you know, we want it because it's precious or like valuable. Sure. Like to give some kind of a reason, but I don't need the whole history of why it's so important. It's like if Indiana Jones in the last crusade, like they're after the cup, right? In the last crusade. Yeah. yeah. They're after the, the goblet of life. They're after the, Go- yeah. the Holy grail. It's like if they just did like a 10 minute explanation of the Bible, they're like, okay, let me tell you why this goblet of fire. What? I'm thinking of the wrong <laughs> I said story. That, said that on purpose. Um, why this goblet of life is important. Okay. So there's this man named Jesus and he did this things. And it's like, we don't need to know that. <laughs> I'm, they're I'm after sure, it. I'm sure they explain they yeah, explain it a sure. little bit. Maybe in like but... one scene. I feel like every other scene in this movie is like or almost every scene in this movie is explaining like, <sighs> okay, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And it's like, can you just give me more scenes like we saw in the beginning where spoilers <laughs> where Miles gets shot, you know, and we don't know who did it. Let's see more of that. Let's see suspense. Let's see more intrigue. Uh, They're just leaving it all out there. For the record, I'll give Indiana Jones a pass for explaining, you know, the significance behind what they are after. Because in Indiana Jones, it actually does have more significance. Like the fact, archaeologist. Well, yeah, but the fact (laughs) that you know the Holy Grail can you know bring people back to life or heal wounds or whatever has implications later in the movie because it saves. Indy's dad and the fact that the True. the Ark of the Covenant, you know, has certain meaning behind it has implications later in the movie when they try to open it. Temple of Doom, I'm not going to, you know, well, I haven't seen it in a while. It's but. like Chekhov's gun, right? Like they're like, we're telling you this is important because we're giving you a reason for why it's going to become important and not just telling it for the sake of telling it. They're telling the audience so that the audience is clued into something that they need to know for later, right? Yeah, with the Maltese Falcon, you didn't need to know any of you that because it know didn't any matter. Because in the end, they didn't even have it. <laughs> yeah, it could have been a sculpture of poop for all the movie cared. <laughs> like the sculpture of poop was pooped out by a by a dinosaur, and it changed hands, and now it's just still a sculpture of poop, and I really want it. It's like okay, well that's great. Does it matter at all? No, because it would have been different if, you know, we found out that Sam was in financial trouble. He's having trouble keeping like his company afloat and he needed something like this. So it gave some kind of motivation as to why he's after why he cares about this stuff at all and he's like oh this would be really great to like have my financial troubles worried and then it's like oh this is a valuable object it makes sense why he has like some kind of stake or interest in it yeah I don't it's know. the same with uncut gems I didn't have enough of a reason to care so I didn't yeah because you know he was a gambler and it's like why don't you just stop and like clearly he's addicted but it's like you put yourself in this trouble what <laughs> It's like this all could have been avoided. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give this four out of ten. Wow. I know that's low, but wow. it just it, it's just how it made me feel. It man. was okay. It it felt like one of those movies, and I I do say this a bunch. It felt like one of those movies that's playing on TV in a movie. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? In yeah. a better movie. <laughs> in, in the background of a better movie, yeah. Yeah, like kind of like with the Home Alone thing. Like angels that don't have no souls or whatever that. Angels with filthy souls. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I was thinking about that too, honestly. Yeah. From Home Alone, I was. And, about and that. those clips are better than this movie. <laughs> snakes, <laughs> snakes. What? Snakes at ten percent. <laughs> okay. Do you have a rating? Should I just read some random pieces of trivia? I didn't even uh, vet the trivia beforehand. I usually do, right. and I come up with a list, but I just couldn't be bothered. I I. Thought that Humphrey Bogart was gonna be better because he was, he was fine. He's no Cary Grant. No, not by a long shot. And I didn't, you know, it, I saw Cary Grant in uh, North by Northwest, and I didn't even think he was that great in that. I liked him in His Girl Friday, but he's he's yeah. way more charismatic and yeah. magnetic than Humphrey Bogart. Agreed. I mean, he fits the sort of hard boiled detective, but I don't find that that interesting. With something like Veronica Mars, it's like, well, they gave her reasons as to why she was kind of bitter. Like, she has good reason to be bitter. Mm. We don't know why Sam is bitter. And frankly, I don't care. <laughs> uh, it's a movie. It's serviceable. I'll give it like, mm, like six out of ten. Six. Yeah. Yeah, I'm only seeing like one piece of interesting trivia, and it's okay. the very first one. Three of the statuettes still exist and are conservatively valued at over $1 million each. This makes them some of the most valuable film props ever made. Indeed, each is now worth more than three times what the film cost to make. That is egregious. Who cares? Well, They're made of lead and plaster. It's what it What does it matter? I guess. It's not even a good movie, people. Well, if you think of everything as we apply intrinsic value to things, where it's like, you know, a lot of things are just made out of raw materials of the earth, you know, like cameras. We deem it to be expensive, but it's made of like plastic and metal and glass and stuff. Well, so. you know, I agree it is perceived value, but this is yeah. why I find prop making and prop rec replicas a lot more interesting than collecting real props, right? Yeah. Because let's boring. let's say you were a prop collector and you collected the original Luke Skywalker lightsaber from the original Star Wars, and you yeah. hold it in your hand. That's pretty cool to have to have, For and like, it, it looks yeah. awesome, and you can hold it, and you feel like you pulled it right out of the movie. If you put it on display, right? If you were to make that same prop. It would be equally as awesome. It would be visually stunning and you'd be able to hold it and look like you pulled it right out of the movie. And that's great. It's an awesome prop. It's well designed. If you were to buy for a million dollars or whatever, the Maltese Falcon prop that was used in the movie. Okay, that's cool. You, I guess, have a piece of film history. But if you were to make that same prop out of like casting lead or like whatever, You'd be like, what am I going to do with this? Why do I have this? It's like, it doesn't even look aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. It's just like a bird statue that's like smooth. I have a problem with like mass collecting of things unless it's like for historical purposes, like if, you know, Lego has an archive of like all of their different types of sets. It's like, well, that's cool. That could be in a museum, you know part of pop culture sure that kind of thing makes sense 
but like having just like straight up movie props where it's like yeah i spent a million on that and like i know it's the real thing but like who cares <laughs> that prop is like, famous because it was used in a movie you're not going to be famous because you own the prop yeah like i understand spending money on things but that it just i don't know stuff like that seems like a waste of money like i understand investing in nice clothes to wear because it's like okay well you you could get like a lot of use out of that you could wear like expensive items all the time stuff like that but like something that's just gonna collect dust i'm like why <laughs> yeah it's like anytime a musician gives away a guitar that they used or like tony hawk gives away a skateboard i'm always like i hope the person that he's giving it to uses that thing and like beats it to hell yes, exactly. and really like gets years and years of use out of it because that's what those things are designed to be yeah. used for is to to be used like give away a guitar learn to play guitar play the bejesus out of that guitar yeah you know give away a skateboard learn to ride that skateboard right there's no point in being precious with this kind of stuff. yeah why let it collect dust yeah that's what i have a problem sometimes with you know people that have means where they're like i spent three thousand dollars on this pokemon card and it's gonna sit in like a desk and i'm gonna pull it out once in a while and like it's like there's a lot of other things you could have done with that money a lot of more know. productive things yeah absolutely you know? and I like mean, all the time all the time and energy that you spend researching these things and bidding on them and like whatever you could be doing something far more productive with yeah. your time i mean and i don't want to be like a total snob like i like spending money on things i have somewhat bourgeois taste at times but like it, it should be things that like you can utilize and that will bring you a lot of joy each time that you get to use it i feel like otherwise it's just it just seems like a waste that you know could be spent on making this world people feel better yeah. you know i don't know i would say the only thing that i really collect is like toy story toys you know yeah. i collect like i have a little display of, that represents like Andy's toys from Toy Story. But I collect those because at night they come alive and they walk around the room and that's real cool. That's important <laughs> to me. So that they, they're getting used, they're using themselves and that's fine, right? Absolutely. I'm not crazy. Yeah. You're crazy. The other day, the door like <laughs> closed by the wind or something, I guess. But it was just like completely out of nowhere where it just like click shut. Yeah. And you're like, huh, what happened? And I was like, huh, where'd Woody go? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> make it seem like that Woody just walked out the door. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about something else. <laughs> we so we, we saw. Don't have to talk about anything. We, let's talk about movies. It's a movie podcast. So we yeah. came, we just came back from the Mayfair a few hours ago, oh, the yeah, Mayfair true. Theater in Ottawa, where we saw Still, a Michael J. Fox film or movie, whatever. That's the official title. It's not just Still. It's like Still. A Michael J. Fox film. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, you know, we watch a lot of sort of celebrity, what are, like documentary type stuff. Do we? Well, we watch a lot of documentary type stuff, I suppose. Do we? Yeah. Once in a while. Maybe more than the average person. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you also work in documentary film of sorts, so. Yeah, short um, form. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I found it engaging on some level that they weren't doing the same sort of things that all documentaries do. Like, I found it interesting that they read excerpts from his books and mm-hmm. then sort of, like, recreated the scenes and, like, mashed it together with, like, films and TV shows he's been in. That was fun. There was some good use of editing throughout the film, for sure. The editing was definitely my favorite part. So, like, essentially what they would do is they filmed new scenes with actors walking yeah. around pretending to be Michael J. Fox and, and the people associated with him, but without showing his face or most of their faces. And then they would like you know they would show these scenes as michael is narrating his story and then they would do like a match cut where they would cut from those recreated scenes yeah. to an actual clip of michael j fox at the time wearing the same clothes like yeah. stepping onto set or like fun. getting out of bed or whatever and i was like this editing is brilliant in particular the sequence of him going back and forth between family ties and back to the future yeah that was a lot of that that was awesome and they showed clips of him on family ties where they're like you're working two jobs like how are you gonna keep up with this yeah they must have (laughs) like scoured the episodes of family ties to find like just individual lines that were relevant to the scene where like you know they'd play a clip of of Michael on Family Ties being like, oh, that's my ride. I got to go. And then smash beep, beep. cut to <laughs> yeah. to the new filmed footage of him like getting in the car, going on set. And then they'd play a real clip of him walking onto the set of Back to the Future. It was very effective very storytelling. Fun. And they had like, I want to say it was like maybe sort of CG or maybe they mixed it with set design. They like recreated like, you know, like the Tonight Show green room. Right. It's yeah. like studio apartment and stuff like that and like i found that to be interesting as well so yeah my main criticism yeah honestly was that it wasn't long enough it seemed like it ended way too soon i thought it was going to be 20 minutes longer they mostly focused on the highlights of his career and like i would say like mainly stuff in the 80s and 90s and then they kind of like briefly touched on like you know what he's been doing lately with like his parkinson's foundation Right. Um, and like, you know, briefly, that he, that very, he, very, he has briefly. like a happy family. And, you know, they showed him doing like what? Did you hear that little squeak? Was that me? Or? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> OK, go ahead. Um, Maybe you know. it was Stuart Little sneaking around. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Demi Adijuebe, where he's like big stew riding up to the big boy table in his convertible. <laughs> yeah. While Snowbell eats on the floor. Yeah. Okay. So true. Back to the film. <laughs> you're you're yucking yourself up over there. Yeah. So there was there's some good scenes with the family. Like they were like kind of like making fun of him for like being bad at texting and stuff like that. And it was they they seemed happy and it was so a fun time. It was good glimpses into his life. And I, I feel so bad. Like I mean, obviously, like having to go from such a like height in your career and you know have to deal with like such a major life change but it seems like he's dealing with the cards that were dealt to him in the best way he can and he's at least in a privileged position that he can manage his pain with like the best people and you know be able to afford like physical therapy and and stuff like that so i would give it eight out of ten yeah and you uh it was fun. I feel like you always make fun of me because I don't immediately give my score. I give a reasoning as to why I'm giving a score. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at least you're self-aware about it. Yeah. So it it was fun, but I feel like they, yeah, they could have included more stuff in like the second half of his life, perhaps. But maybe there just wasn't much to tell. I don't know. What I will say is I wasn't constantly looking at the theater clock when we were watching it. So Yeah, that's always a good thing. It's a good time. And it was so strange because we went to the movies when it was light out. And then we came out of the movies and it was still light out. I was like, this like never happens. <laughs> yeah, we got time enough to watch the rest of the Maltese Falcon so and record true. the podcast. So I'm going to give it like 8 out of 10. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Pretty much. Tetris. Should we talk about Tetris? Yeah, let's briefly touch on Tetris. All right. The story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to players around the globe. Businessman Hank Rogers and Tetris inventor Alexei Pajitnov joined forces in the USSR, risking it all to bring Tetris to the masses. Another Apple TV movie. So Tetris ended communism, basically. (laughs) That's kind of how they made it seem. (laughs) I mean, it's historically accurate, right? That's what happened. Um, politics were definitely a part of it. <laughs> I mean, anytime a movie is made that's based on a true story, they follow the beats exactly, right? They really should. F- factually, because otherwise, I don't know how I'm going to come to terms if you're going to tell me that there was not a car chase to the airport in Moscow <laughs> with Minoru Arakawa, Alexei Pajitnov, and Howard Lincoln, and Hank Rogers running away from like the KGB driving and smashing into cars. You're telling me that didn't happen in real life? That sounds like video game nerd fan fiction. It is. (laughs) It really is. So to touch the ground here for a second, I can almost guarantee you that that did not actually happen. But that's... that's, They said as much, I would say. That's kind of the way that this film plays with the truth a little bit. Like, I think most of it is factual. They're just tightening the situation. Towards the end, they really kind of Hollywoodize it just a bit too much. But make it interesting. It was fun at the very least. And and I enjoyed that about it. Taryn Edgerton. You want to give give that another try? Oh my gosh, I'm such a mush mouth. Taryn Edgerton is, you know, lovely as always. He he was funny. I like him. There was a one scene in particular where he like goes up to Alexi and he's like, didn't think I would come back, would I? Yeah, he he had a lot of great like charisma in this. Yeah. The only problem is that he's playing a man who is of like partial Dutch descent, partial Indonesian descent. Yeah, it was a little iffy. The guy who he is playing is not white. He's like brown. Taron Edgerton yeah. is quite white. They look um, nothing alike. That was a bit weird. I've watched interviews with Hank Rogers. Hank Rogers didn't seem to mind. So that's good, I guess. But uh, odd choice. Yeah. Considering the guy that played Alexi looks a decent amount like Alexi. Yeah. (laughs) He seems like a nice guy, too. Yeah. Overall, that movie was fun. But I feel like, I don't know. We need like a glow up. I feel like at, at the time I said, oh, okay, this is what I said. I was like, this movie is the jobs, like Ashton Kutcher jobs. Yep. And what we need to see is like a Steve Jobs version of Tetris. Yeah. Like big Hollywood movie, Oscar bait, like that kind of thing. Like all the stops, Tetris, where we see like a Russian interrogation scene and it's raining and it's dark outside. <laughs> like Danny Boyle with the 
shareholders sure. meeting. I don't know. I, I feel like we could do it. That's This is another movie where I'm like, there's so much potential here. I mean, I love For Steve sure. Jobs, so definitely. I, I would love if they were going to make another version of this story because I do think it's an interesting story. I know it's like a lot of legalese and it's about like r- distribution rights, but I find that yeah. I find that interesting. What I would have loved if they had touched a little bit more on it was um, the actual creation of Tetris, like the thought process and the programming it and just – more of Alexei Pajanov's story before they they did a little, a little bit. A little bit. I will say, like, I'm a little bit overly familiar with this story, especially before having gone into yeah. the movie, because I both watched uh, an hour long documentary by the gaming historian about it. I as well. M- multiple times. It's a great video. Definitely look it up on YouTube if yeah. you hadn't, haven't seen it. Probably better than the movie. <laughs> oh, definitely better and more more historically accurate. Yeah. But I've also read. Um, uh, a book about it that's like sort of like a graphic novel representation of of the same story expanded just a little bit and i highly recommend those they are fascinating um more so than the movie um so maybe i went into the movie with a little bit high expectations but i did enjoy it it, it was a lot of fun there were some fun elements i like the 8-bit transition scenes yeah that was fun it's just like it's one of the kinds of movies along with the Mario movie that like, I'm just happy that it exists. Absolutely. You know, I'm happy that it exists. I'm happy that decent money and decent scripts are being thrown towards movies that have to do with video games. They realize there's a market now. <laughs> yeah. Well, video games are a lot cooler than they used to be. I'll, I'll yeah. be honest with you. Cause like when I was a kid, the only video games that were cool were like grand theft auto FIFA like you know, popular maybe maybe call of duty right and yeah. when, when i was a kid back in the lonely days of 2004 when i was running around in a homemade link costume with everybody being like what did you just ask robin hood you peter pan i felt like i was the only one on the planet right. who liked legend of zelda i felt weird for liking legend of zelda and now the release of the new zelda just a couple of days ago is like news you know, for sure, there's news stories like, oh, people are lining up around the block for Zelda because like it's one of the most anticipated games of the last few years. And I would have never guessed that we would progress to that point when I was a kid because it just felt so lame to like Zelda. I think just things like video games, more niche titles were less accessible to the general public. Whereas with the internet now, there's so many pockets and so many niche communities where it's a lot easier to find your tribe, so to speak. Right. Find the other nerds that felt like they were the only one that enjoyed Legend of Zelda as kids. And then, you know, that community educates people that are tangentially interested and gets them involved. Bigger community that way. Well, it's kind of how... uh... Same sort of reason why Hank Rogers and Alexei Pajanov became friends is because they felt, you know, lonely. They felt like Kinship, they, were, they yeah. were the only ones who liked, you know, discussing that kind of stuff. And, you know, they made that connection. Yeah, because they were both computer programmers coming from that background. They showed a scene of that in a movie where uh, Hank is talking to Alexei and he's like, hey, I wondered why you didn't do this and that. And he's like, well, I never thought of it. <laughs> and yeah. then he's like, showed them collaborating. And so I think that was a good representation of that real friendship because they own that company together now, the Tetris company. Yeah, so. they're still buddies. Yeah, that's so sweet. So I gave it eight out of 10, also known as four out of five. How about you? 
I'm going to give it a, a seven because I feel like there's a lot of room for potential. Mm-hmm. But it was an enjoyable enough watch. Yeah. But go watch the Gaming Historian video if you are interested in pop culture. I'm not as big into video games as Andrew, but I enjoy the history of things. So, Gaming Historian, by the way, is one of the best channels on YouTube. For sure. Especially these days. Like the content that he's making, just absolutely high caliber stuff. Very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Very classily put together. I think my favorite video of his is the history of parental ratings on video games. Mm -hmm. All that stuff is quite interesting. I think that's like another hour long (laughs) one. I love his his long videos because especially because like the Tetris one also leads into like his other video about like Atari suing Nintendo. Oh, because whole rabbit hole. (laughs) Because the guy that was distributing like said that Atari could have it, but like he actually didn't have the rights yet. So is that why Atari sued Nintendo? Yeah, like they they didn't have the rights to publish um, Tetris for the Nintendo Entertainment System, and then they did it anyway. Right. But then also they did it in a way that was not licensed by Nintendo, like Nintendo needs to give their seal of quality and approval or whatever to whoever publishes games for their systems and and they need to like buy cartridges or whatever. True. Atari was like, no, we're going to do it our own way. We're going to make our (laughs) own cartridges. So they were kind of like, uh, is double jeopardy the right word? You know, Um, double, double trouble. I tell you. No, like I, you need to explain what you're talking about Oh, just like they were in the wrong for distributing Tetris, which they didn't have the rights to. And then they were also wrong for producing unlicensed NES games, which Nintendo did not allow. Okay. If we're going to be technical double jeopardy in terms of trial stuff is you cannot be tried for the exact same crime twice. So if they said that you were not guilty, you know, of let's say you murdered someone (laughs) or you know they found you guilty and you served your time and then they found out for some reason that that person wasn't murdered well then it's like you can't be convicted of that crime again so so double jeopardy we are fine yeah what is we are fine so it's only the exact crime you can't be on trial for again okay so not really what i meant but <laughs> i just meant they were in the wrong twice over and there's another whole video about that which again this is the kind yeah. of stuff that i find fascinating absolutely <laughs> and i find murder fascinating for some reason andrew this is the kind of stuff that i find fascinating hannah yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> everybody has their things that they're like really nerdy about it's mm-hmm. like, I just want to know all about this thing. And it like it may not make sense to everybody, but like it's just what you like. It's just your thing. Yeah. Like you said you love comparing two things that are similar but different. That's like one of your That's one of my <laughs> favorite, favorite things, one hundred percent. Let's listen to this one song and then let's re like listen to the remastered version and let's listen to the demo version and like let's and then listen to it again. The live yeah. version also. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just back to back to back. And then you gotta go back and listen to the first version again. So it's fresh in your mind to compare. Pick out the little differences. Let's watch all the openings to Smallville and watch how they change. <laughs> Is that an offer? Like you're you're willing to go oh, through that again? Because oh, we've already done that. I know, we, and I I've been looking for an opportunity. Well, you know, I've never seen a single episode of Smallville, but that doesn't mean that I could, can't watch every single opening to every single season and compare. Absolutely. Did you just wink at me. 
<laughs> Not intentionally, <laughs> but I will wink at you. Okay. Thank you very much. I don't think there's anything more to say about this. Um, the Maltese Falcon Meh. is uh, Dookie. And uh, <laughs> I mean, literally the statuette looks like Dookie. It may as well be Dookie. It's black and white. <laughs> it's black and white. And um, I'm ready to be done with it. I, uh, yeah. I you're not going to find good. me rewatching this. I wish it was good. Let's just go watch Dry Town. Yeah, I guess so. Well, right. I'm looking forward to, I think the treasure of the Sierra Madre is next. I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it's, that's better. It's next on the list right now because mm-hmm. Maltese Falcon is 1941. Treasure of the Sierra Madre was 1948. We also have on there Red Shoes, which is also 1948. Is it? But yes. Interesting. But um, I am looking to bulk out the list a bit and uh, in put, in, put in some. Yeah, because we're jumping from 41 to 48. That's seven years worth yeah. of movies. Could do a movie in between. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anything that's like a strong draw. But what's uh, we'll what's see. on the list, I guess? What's on the list of, like, of what? Of potentials. Of potentials? Yeah. Well, if I go into Letterboxd and I browse <laughs> by release date, go to 1940s and any, we have Citizen Kane, which yep. we've seen, Casablanca, which we've seen, It's a Wonderful Life, seen it, Rope, seen it, Bicycle Thieves, seen it, Pinocchio, Fantasia, nah. Bambi, nah. not super interested in any of those, Double Indemnity. Oh, okay. That's I, another film noir. I don't know anything about that, honestly. I could be down for that. Maybe. Compare the film noirs. Uh, Red Shoes, The Third Man, Dumbo. Uh, maybe watch Dumbo. Meh. Meh. Okay. <laughs> I guess that closes the door on that. His Girl Friday, The Great Dictator. Meh. Oh, maybe. That's supposed to be one of Charlie Chaplin's best. Is it? Yep. Okay. Well, maybe. That and City Lights, I think. Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Cat People. I've heard good things the about Philad- Cat People. The Philadelphia Story. Oh, that is Catherine Hepburn in it. I could be down for that. Grapes of Wrath. The Shop Around the Corner. Ooh, that's the original of You Got Mail. Yes. I've okay. heard that's good. I'm kind of interested in that. Okay. Anyway, all that to say, uh, either Treasure of the Sierra Madre or Red Shoes might be next. But if we can fit another film in between just to make sure that the 1940s is properly spoken for, then I think we will. A few of those sound intriguing. I'm sure we'll pick at least one of those for sure. Absolutely. It's nice chatting with you, Andrew. I love you. Oh, it's great chatting with you, too. You're going out of town for a couple of days, so I was excited to get some nice face-to-face time doing mm-hmm. the podcast. Absolutely. This is the only time we talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> microphone's off. It's like, I don't even look at you. And by the way, shout out to our camera, which, you know, said- <laughs> Shout out to our camera. Yeah. It said it only had like a certain amount of battery life left, and I was like, it's probably going to die halfway through the episode, but it got to 0%. Like- 10 minutes ago really? and it's just been like hanging on at zero percent and hasn't shut off and i'm very impressed by that that's amazing thank you very much camera i appreciate you it does have quite a good battery life for sure right on all right well catch you in the next episode thanks again so much for listening yeah bye-bye bye-bye